The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Astrology reveals insights into the greater world, its changing cycles and universal forces. Through the lens of astrology, we examine special topics and current events, investigate their meaning, and discuss solutions to personal and global problems. Welcome to Astrology, the theory of everything, with Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. We are here to show you how astrology can be a powerful tool for self-awareness and transformation. You'll be amazed how everything is interconnected when using astrology. Now, here are your hosts, Mary Jo and Janie. Welcome, this is Mary Jo Weavers. On today's show, we are going to explore a topic that aligns with the astrological sign of Taurus, the sun sign for the month this show airs. The earth sign Taurus is associated with many archetypal and mythological figures, including perhaps the most fundamental Gaia, the Earth herself. Taurus is an astrological energy rooted in the Earth and integrated with natural growth cycles. Attuning to the natural rhythms and seasons on Earth and paying attention to celestial cycles in the sky are central to our topic today, which is shamanic astrology. Joining me on the show is special guest Daniel Giamario, creator of the Shamanic Astrology Paradigm. He will be telling us about this Earth-centered, participatory, spiritual practice. Welcome to the show, Daniel. I am so excited to have you here today. Well, thank you very much, Mary Jo. It's a pleasure to, to be on the show with you. Uh, Great. I have a, as you know, I had a history of having my own show on that same uh, network some years ago. Yes, that's wonderful, the serendipity of it. <laughs> well, let's begin by having you tell us about your background as an astrologer, how you created the shamanic astrology paradigm and founded the Mystery School. Uh, actually, um, I first learned astrology all the way back in 1969 in my final year in college. Uh, and then, that, that, actually, that was inspired by reading a book called The Astrology of Personality. Um, it was a paperback version of a book written by uh, Dane Rajar, who then he actually studied with him for a good number of years and was in that uh, original humanistic astrology group that was founded by him in the um, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And all during the 70s, um, that was the type of astrology that I was involved with, um, at that point known as humanistic astrology. Um, and I was very much inspired by Rajar's approach of blending in um, different spiritual systems, theosophy, Jungian psychology, uh, those kinds of elements. 
Um, but then in the late 70s, I, I sort of tired. My, actually, my, my spiritual path changed at that point uh, from a more Eastern meditational approach to a more Earth-centered shamanism. I did a, a vision quest on Mount Shasta in, the, in early, I think it was 1980, 81. And from that point onward, I decided that if I was going to be an astrologer, that it needed to be with connection to the land and the sky. So mm-hmm. I relearned the night sky. It became a formal part of my astrological practice to have people to, to go camping, be under the sky, to have an experience um, with, the, uh, uh, with, with nature. And, and it was during that time, during my own apprenticeship, actually, um, at different um, sacred sites around the country, Manchester, Joshua Tree, several other places, that many of the first downloads occurred uh, for what then later became known as the shamanic astrology paradigm. Hmm. Um, so during the 80s and 90s, I was researching the whole thing. Uh, that included some trips to, uh, to the stone circles of um, England and, and Scotland. Uh, major transmissions happened at that point, and then the school and the form, the formal introduction of this uh, to be known as shamanic astrology happened in in the early 1990s, and that was in conjunction with um, the co-founder of the school, Kalen Castell. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, uh, we have uh, certified over 50 people in the school. Um, I have, uh, over the years, I mean, I've been actually a, a, a counseling astrologer since 1970. Um, so if you ask about my background in astrology, um, um, probably at this point I've done about 20,000 sessions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had about um, 50, over 50 people go through the school. And mm-hmm. I'm still conducting workshops um, uh, workshops with the school. We, we now have webinars in the school to, to, with a basic uh, training in, the, in, in this approach. And my main focus now is uh, in leading these groups to, st- to sacred sites to sacred sites. Um, I'll be doing another uh, a trip co-leading with a woman named Anya McAndrew, who's also a shamanic astrologer. This, this year we're taking uh, people to uh, Western Ireland and back to the Callanish Stone Circle on the island of Lewis. Um, so f- what I've done over the years is take the spiritual framework, psychological-slash-spiritual framework of of humanistic astrology and adding to that um, the earth-based shamanic traditions um, to, to come up with a, um, a system that kind of blends uh, many of the best techniques of even pre-horoscopic astrology uh, through the um, innovations of Rijar and integration of Jungian archetypes and then uh, integrating that with, the, with core shamanism, with, um, with uh, working with the land and the sky. So that would be, is that what you, yeah, I think that's a, a, an encapsulated uh, summary. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's a very interesting background and, and one that's somewhat different than many other astrologers that are practicing today have. Um, and so I, I love the fact that shamanic astrology is so earth-based. Um, but uh, let's let's talk a little bit about how the shamanic astrologer approaches the horoscope. Um, you know, many people are, are interested in their personal natal chart or how a horoscope is read. And 
is there anything different or uh, what just distinguishes the approach that a shamanic astrologer takes when they look at the horoscope? Uh, there's a, 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 I think there's a lot of differences. Um, we still use the signs as understood by the uh, uh, Western uh, tropical seasonal zodiac, mm-hmm. uh, but much of the archetypal um, information that we're teaching is a bit different, or actually in some cases considerably different uh, from uh, the way the signs have been understood um, um, in, in more mainstream astrology. Uh, also, some of the ways we look at the chart are considerably different in the sense that we um, look at the moon in a very different way. Um, and we also look at the ascendant in, in quite a different way from uh, a lot of other uh, forms of astrology. Um, we also place a much greater emphasis on Venus and Mars than the sun sign. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one of the very first things that I'll say in a uh, you know, general introduction to shamanic astrology, which is this is not sun sign astrology. We don't place much attention on the sun sign. Um, uh, from the from the revolutionary um, input that was happening as the culture was shifting in the late 60s and early 70s, many of us at that time became aware that sun sign astrology was a relic of patriarchy. Hmm. And that, and that, in fact, the emphasis on sun signs only came um, into popular culture in the in, in the middle of the nineteen um, uh, the eighteen hundreds. Um, uh, the reason for that was there was a couple of astrologers that uh, newspaper people actually who got the idea they could sell a newspaper column if they were able to uh, easily put people in twelve categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few people at that time had the books that would be able to to know the other information, you know. So it'd be, it's pretty easy to popularize it by uh, uh, dividing everybody into twelve categories. But we find there's far more uh, 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 information um, regarding the soul's journey. Be very useful in a in a dynamic and in a developmental sense by um, first starting with the moon. Uh, for men, seeing Mars is more important than the sun sign. For women, Venus more important than the sun sign. And then for looking at the ascendant um, as really the symbol of life purpose, that the soul's journey is toward the ascendant. It is, after all, the most personal part of the point of the whole chart. And even if you go back to the beginning of horoscopic astrology, I mean, the Hellenistic days, mm-hmm. um, the, the word ascendant was the same as the word for horoscope. So with the, the, with our understanding of horoscope today, you know, whether a square or a circular chart, is not what uh, that originally meant. Originally, it was the ascendant. The knowledge of the ascendant is what actually gave individuality uh, to, to an individual. Hmm. So, so we do that in combination with a very unique way of looking at the nodes of the moon. And I, and I should mention that one of the distinctions between shamanic astrology and a lot of other forms, although there are many other astrologers now catching on to this, and that is we use the whole sign house system. So the archetypal imagery works best using the whole sign um, house system. So we have this way of taking the the house positions of the nodes of the moon in combination with the moon and in combination with the ascendant to come up with 144 storylines. Mm. 144 storylines of a person's lineage, meaning where they've come from, 
because I don't believe human beings um, are born with a blank slate. Mm-hmm. There are going to be attitudes, habits, addictions, and expectations that an individual comes in with before they meet their the parents or the culture or the time period in history they're born into. So mm-hmm. there's ways of getting marvelous storyline information by knowing the house position of the south node in combination with the moon. And then that'll be a person, we call it their, their lineage their lineage, um, the attitudes, habits, addictions, expectations that a person comes into the life with. Mm-hmm. So another, another thing here that distinguishes this is that we do not use the technique that has been current in romance languages of projecting feminine onto the moon and masculine onto the sun. Um, we, we hearken back to earlier traditions that were were really uh, evident over most of the world where there were gods and goddesses of the moon and gods and goddesses of the sun. So Mm -hmm. we don't make that sort of dualistic mistake of just projecting one gender um, onto the sun or the moon, if you follow what I mean. Yeah, that's very interesting. So would you do uh, something instead like look at the the sign that the moon or the sun is in? And if that's um, an earth or water sign having more of a feminine quality to it versus uh, a sun or a moon in an air or a fire sign where it might have more of a masculine quality? Uh, to a certain extent, but um, but actually, we would see gods and goddesses in all twelve. Mm. And so, so for example, um, if you have um, a fire sign, I mean, let's say if you have a person with a Sagittarius moon, let's mm-hmm. let's use that as an example. Well, if we're looking at the goddesses associated with the Sagittarius moon, then it would be the ones that are more like Saraswati or. Or um, uh, uh, or Sophia, um, or um, Tara from India. In other words, aspects of the feminine that are Amazonian, independent, and more about consciousness. You know, rather than the traditional aspects in more recent times, traditional of the feminine as being you know giving and nurturing and and receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, so there would that would be one approach. Also, since you brought up Taurus, you know the fact that this is being aired in Taurus time mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. Um, we place a, a great deal of emphasis on the masculine version of Taurus, which is actually pre-patriarchal, pre-consciousness, um, um, uh, object, objectivity aspect of masculine, but actually an earth god. Um, uh, in, in Ireland, it's known as um, the Dogda, the, the Irish bull god, uh, a version of masculinity that um, is associated with marrying the land. You know, um, uh, sovereignty of the masculine was in first marrying the land. And that, to me, is a very strongly a, a Taurian expression of masculinity. So, uh, so I, I thought I'd give a, a masculine example, since we gave a, a more, um, uh, a, a, you know, the fire expression of the feminine. Right. So it's not as simple of just saying that the earth and water signs are, um, are one gender either. You know, mm-hmm. So there's, there's expressions of masculine and feminine in, 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 in all 12. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, so we're injecting into the signs masculine and feminine um, rather than falling into the trap of having 
like as it was in 1970, let's say, there's really only two symbols that had the, the, the two planets, the sun and the, uh, sorry, the moon and, and Venus that would have any, any um, connection to femininity. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is a very, um, that is a very unique perspective and way of looking at the planets and and the signs. And it seems that it it offers a lot more possibility of expression uh, for people to um, identify with and a, a lot more potential or possibility for it to be played out in people's lives. And we do that um, uh, very much, uh, much more of that um, in in the emphasis on Venus and Mars. Hmm. So depending on the sign of a woman's Venus, well, that would be 12 authentic expressions of the feminine principle or the Mars position on a man's chart, uh, the 12 authentic expressions of the masculine principle. And what's intriguing about this and this is one of the uh, one, one of the ways that shamanic astrology differs from a lot of other forms of astrology. We're looking at these placements on the chart, Venus and Mars, for example, and the rising sign also, as statements of intent. They're not going to be um, some static, uh, open to statistics version of of, of uh, assessing how things actually are, mm-hmm. but rather. What it's like a set of instructions. It's like an intention, you know. So that if a if a woman had Venus in Sagittarius, and she was say a Cancer Moon, then the intention sooner or later would be to develop that consciousness, Sophia, uh, vision questing, um, enlightenment, spirituality oriented uh, sense of the feminine, and leave behind the mother nurture mm. aspect. Of the feminine, which would be um, um, indicative of a Cancer Moon. Yes. Yeah. And then, if the, the chart could be the opposite, I mean, there could be some, uh, say, uh, in this case, a woman's chart. This is Sagittarius Moon, Venus, and Cancer. So, mm-hmm. in that case, she's leaving behind the uh, uh, the sort of independent vision quest, Amazonian consciousness-based version version of the feminine in order to develop a greater capacity to experience and to, to share the qualities of providing nourishment to others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Now, I, I know from my conversations here in Oregon and in the Pacific Northwest with some of the shamanic astrologers, Gemini Brett and, and Eric Roth, um, that the focus is on the planets that are visible to the naked eye. And I'm curious, what about the other planets beyond Saturn in the solar system? Right. How are those treated in shamanic astrology? Oh, we still we, we still very strongly use um, uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when you when you take something like as above, so below; as within, so without. Mm-hmm. Right, as mm-hmm. the fundamental overview uh, of philosophy behind astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, as above, so below still extends into the invisible dimension. But now, having said that, <coughs> pardon me. Having said that. One of the projects we're engaged in is, is, is trying to discern how the ancients, before the discovery of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, 
we're able to see in the cycles of the visible planets those mysteries. So, for example, we now use, we've discovered actually um, uh, through our experience with many clients, that if someone has Sun conjunct Venus, not retrograde, but within 10 degrees, so that it's invisible, I mean, so experientially that's the Venus is on the other side of the Sun, Mm-hmm. Astronomically, it's on the other side of the sun. That that the characteristics of a person with Sun Venus conjunct within ten degrees is Plutonian. That's how the ancient. That's how the ancients would have known the underworld. Oh, initiatorious, initiatory yes. process. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the same thing is true with um, with uh, with Sun conjunct Mars within fifteen degrees which is when Mars is on the other side of the sun and invisible. Because the way the, the experience of the senses perceives it, the planet, as it's moving across the sky, not in its um, daily rotation, uh, not the, the, the daily rotation of the Earth, but as we would watch a planet move across the sky relative to the stars, um, uh, relative to the, horizon, to the horizon, as it gets close to the horizon, and then begins to be obscured by the, the, the brightness of the sun, the ancient understanding of it is the planet is, is entering into the underworld. So the Plutonian imagery works there. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have not entirely cracked the code on how all the different elements of, say, Neptune and, and Uranus could show in the visible planets, but we have a lot of clues at this point. Um, uh, and the Mercury cycle has all the niche, different initiation processes. You can find um, what is uh, represented by uh, the outer planets um, in, 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 in the cycles of Mercury. Also in the cycles of, um, of Venus, like you know, the greatest elongation or the time period when the planet is, uh, uh, is rising in the morning. And before it is seen, you know, before we have the holical rise of the planet, there's this very mysterious and alchemical time period when the planet is, is like bathed in the light of the sun that's not seen yet. You mm-hmm. know, and then, and then during the holical rise, then, then it, it starts a, a, different, a different cycle at that point. So, we're, so I, we believe that the ancients knew about all of these initiatory processes. They didn't actually need Uranus and Neptune and Pluto. However, in our modern age, um, those planets are discovered and certain imageries projected onto them. Mm-hmm. And and so it works. I mean, we certainly have Uranus, uh, Neptune, and Pluto um, very strongly uh, playing a part in our initiation cycle timeline information. And, 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 and if you go through a cycle with those planets, it certainly works. And then meanwhile, it also works to be able to work with what are called the synodic cycles, mm-hmm. which, would, which would be the way in which the visible, well, particularly Venus, Mars, and Mercury – the way they have their own very unique archetypal structure. The, the 584 days of Venus, the 25-26 month cycle of Mars, the, the roughly 120 day um, cycle of Mercury. Um, uh, then you have your own individual position on your own natal chart, which, yes. is within a, which is then within a bigger story. 
And that, that to me, is probably one of the most fundamental ways that shamanic astrology is so different. Because um, we talk about how astrology helps us understand cycles of time and different seasons or stages of our life. But by looking more deeply at each of these planets that you've been talking about and um, where they are in, that, in their individual cycles, uh, in our charts, we we can get so much more information out of it. And um, I've read on your website about initiation cycles. And can you tell our listeners about that? What is an initi- initiation cycle and why is it important in shamanic astrology? Well, I just, uh, we like to use that expression, initiation cycle, to be a way of describing the most important transit cycles. Mm-hmm. And I like to call it initiation cycle because, I, I mean, I guess this is another one of those uh, ways in which um, this system differs from a lot of the mainstream understanding is that we do not in any way judge positive, negative, good, bad, high, low, any of the cycles we go through. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get away from that kind of um, hierarchical or judgmental thinking. Mm-hmm. So by using the expression initiation cycle, we're then distinguish. We're 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 looking at say Pluto or Chiron cycles as as certain types of initiations, which we we call the underworld or lower world initiation process. And then you take planets like Jupiter and Saturn, and 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 also the cycles of the nodes of the Moon. And those cycles, initiation cycles, are more related to the middle world or um, more objective reality. As if it's, it's actually happening in, in time, in real time, um, uh, more real world stuff. And mm-hmm. then if we look at the cycles of Uranus and Neptune, then the, this involves the initiations we go through that more have to do with the upper world of the celestial world. The, the interesting thing is that the initiations that are associated with the underworld and the upper world, that is to say Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Chiron, those four, um, those, are, they're, those are actually happening outside of time. You know, they're, they're operating uh, with certain kinds of initiatory processes that are not accessible to normal, ordinary cause and effect logic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, so what we mean by initiation, it's a process that everyone at some point will have an opportunity to go through. Um, and in particularly the ones that are associated with the underworld and the, and the upper world, um, you know, I, I heard once that like, the definition of the word initiation could be described as what happens if you're a sailor and the initiation begins when you can no longer see the shore. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, it's, so, so you're going through a liminal experience of some kind. You're, you're, you're going through a process that's designed to, to, to assist in our evolution, to expand our awareness, to put us through the processes that being a human being requires us going through. And mm-hmm. some of which are simply not, um, uh, uh, you can't, quote, figure them out in a purely logical way. Um, about, can, may I give an example? Yes, please. Well, um, one of the ways in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a generalized way of describing it, uh, we know it's an underworld initiation or a lower world initiation cycle. Uh, for example, Pluto cycles. 
or what happens when Venus is in the underworld is another another example of this. Um, we would know it's one of those initiations because the three main ways of handling challenges don't work during that time. Well, what are the three main ways? Well, people of action will use strength, muscle, or will to remove an obstacle. The second approach commonly used, people who are thinking types will look at a challenge and an obstacle and say, well, this is something we can figure out, a puzzle to solve. The third approach we call the varieties of denial. You know, mm-hmm. like, well, I didn't care about her anyway. It's all good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Where there's a, a certain kind of spiritual bypass or an attempt to detach from the issue, right? Um, uh, another form of denial would be the workaholic approach, which is, you know, to just to, re- to stay so continually busy all the time to not notice an obstacle. Well, the thing about the, the underworld initiation process is that, that when you go through one of those, none of those things work. So, therefore, the experience is typified by irrational, illogical, chaotic um, events that uh, are, quote, beyond our control. Mm-hmm. So, from a spiritual perspective, what, is that, what are we really talking about? It's called the conditions for surrender. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And probably some of the most important work we can do. The can do, yeah. Um, because there's no technique for surrender. If there were a technique, <laughs> then, then it wouldn't be surrender. <laughs> right. Well, and it happens but, to the best of us. Yes, it does. Part of our human experience. Yes, yes. Well, let's take a short break now. And when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation with Daniel Giamario about shamanic astrology. So stay tuned. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer. Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at JanieMcCarthy.com. Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration. A certified karmic astrologer, Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. Check out our website at MaryJoWeavers.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to Astrology, the theory of everything 
to reach the hosts or the guests today. You may send an email to astrotalkradio at iCloud.com or find us on Facebook at astrotalkradio. You can email Janie McCarthy through her website, JanieMcCarthy.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is Mary Jo Weavers, and I'm talking today with Daniel Giamario, founder and director of the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School. Before the break, uh, Daniel was telling us about planetary and initiating cycles. And um, I'd like to begin this segment by bringing our conversation back to the sign of Taurus, Taurus being a fixed earth sign is concerned with our material world, our security, and finding the peace and serenity, uh, whatever peace and serenity we can find in our physical existence. And so uh, my question for you, Daniel, is um, tell us how shamanic astrology helps us connect to the earth spiritually and to find spiritual meaning in our physical experience. Um, could I possibly first um, share the, 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 the difference that, of how we see Taurus in the, Absolutely. In the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School? Yes, um, please. It's, it's actually the sign of Taurus, the mystery school we call it of Taurus, that is one that, is, that, that looks a bit different in, in the way we are seeing it today. Uh, I very much relate Taurus to the way in which the ancient Greeks understood the school of Epicureanism. And in the school of Epicureanism, the, the approach had to do with extending pleasure and minimizing pain. And the way that that was done was through intensity, meaning pleasure as long as possible, um, endurance, uh, I'm sorry, the first one is deep as possible, the second one as long as possible, and then the third was moderation, meaning if you found something that felt good, you would not go past the limit to where it would feel bad. Hmm. So mm-hmm. what would ha- so how I'm perceiving Taurus, Taurus is about the desire of bringing spirit into matter for the purpose of enjoying it. So it has to do with the pleasure paradigm. And anyone who is working on Taurus, like has Venus in Taurus, Mars in Taurus, or Taurus rising, then their project in life is to essentially recreate the Garden of Eden without the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, without in the sense of having to earn it or to, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're, we, we don't deserve to have that experience of enjoyment and pleasure mm-hmm. in the body. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very much represented by the different gods and goddesses that have historically been associated with with Taurus. So if we looked at, say, for example, a pre-patriarchal Aphrodite, okay, Mm -hmm. her skills had to do with beauty and aesthetics, but for herself. She wasn't trying to be beautiful to turn on the men. It was a pleasure and an enjoyment for her to be the arbiter and, and the definer of beauty and aesthetics. Number two, she was the expert at intimacy, but not intimacy as far as bringing children into the world, not intimacy for the purpose of satisfying a marriage vow. Intimacy is art. The capacity to experience personal intimacy is something worth doing in and of itself. And then third, and certainly not least, of all the mystery schools, Taurus is the one about receiving. 
receiving mm-hmm. proper receivership, healthy receivership, like uh, uh, like valuing what's good. It's not indiscriminate indiscriminate receiving, but it's valuing a giver by being a good uh, by, by being a good receiver. So it's this capacity to enjoy our physical experience. Uh, I, I, for example, if you look at all three earth signs. Mm-hmm. All three earth signs could be defined as the project of bringing spirit into matter, but for three different reasons. I mean, for Virgo, it's bringing spirit into matter in order to worship and appreciate the sacred patterning of the goddess. I mean, uh, uh, actually, I, I, we tend to relate Gaia herself more to Virgo, Earth Mother, um, than than to Taurus. Ah, uh-huh. um, okay. Capricorn. Capricorn is bringing spirit into matter in order to manage it and to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. While Taurus, very simply said, brings spirit into matter in order to enjoy it. Mm. So that's a, that's a different emphasis as far as how we're understanding Taurus at, at this particular point. But back to your question. Um, so... The, the, you know, the problem that I noticed in the 70s and early 80s was how few astrologers knew the night sky and how few astrologers were actually working with the natural rhythms and cycles of the earth. It had become all a, a very abstract, intellectual um, 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 more like an Aquarian kind of thing. Right? Absolutely. Um, and so, <laughs> yes. what we wanted to do was put the Earth back into it, but also to the patterning of the sky, it, uh, so that our own experience of our eyes with nature, our bodies with nature, our eyes with the patterning of the sky, the, the natural rhythms and cycles of the planets, sun and moon, and the stellar patterns, the sky, you know, the star patterns, was was essential for reconnecting us to the imaginal roots of astrology. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but it, it's not only as an antiquarian hooking us back into how the ancients perceived it, but giving us a capacity to plug into how great mystery is unfolding now. And to receive the messages directly from where the planets are now, you know, where the star groups, how they're oriented to the solstices and equinoxes now. And to get the transmissions directly, rather than something you've read in a book um, or, you know, following some set of rules, um, you you essentially are asking the planets, um, okay, there is Venus conjunct the moon. Wow, that's the third time there's been a Venus-Moon conjunction since she rose as morning star. What message are we getting from this? Well, part of it, of course, does come from some degree of um, uh, mental understanding. But it's really the opportunity to tune into her and at, at, a, at a time and a place and, and to get that message directly. Um, and then that informs us as we move forward because it's organic. You can't, otherwise, it gets locked into some ancient rule or tradition. I mean, even the things about rulerships and exaltations and detriments, the things that kind of got locked in as way, ways of determining good, bad, high, low, uh, um, 
fortunate or unfortunate, those are all based on configurations that were historically determined at a certain time period in history. You know, mm-hmm. we have to kind of move beyond that and beyond that kind of judgmental framework and that framework that is um, that is placing us into a, a system that that is way too deterministic for me. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, one of the main principles of shamanic astrology that I, I read on your website, and I'm going to quote it now, says, Shamanic astrology especially values the divine feminine, the circle of grandmothers, and that the earth mother is ultimately whom we serve at this turning of the ages. And yes. when I first read that, I felt like, wow, this this really resonates with the energy of Taurus, Taurus being the first feminine earth sign of the zodiac. And as you just mentioned, astrology tends to be very Aquarian. It's very cerebral. It's very intellectual. And I love the way that shamanic astrology brings in that fixed earth quality into the process of doing astrology. So it's not just the cerebral um, experience that so many of us astrologers, me included, have where we're sitting in front of our computers looking, uh, you know, at computer-generated charts instead of being outdoors looking at the night sky. Well, it's, uh, that that quote, the, the, that principle that you just were elucidating, um, actually uh, was more inspired by uh, the other Earth sign. You know, I was I was bringing up um, about Virgo. You know, who yes. I, I, personally mm-hmm. think is more identified uh, with Gaia herself. I mean, mm-hmm. all three, obviously, all three earth signs um, come into play. But it's but but that particular um, principle um, is related very much to our reworking of the sign of Capricorn, where Capricorn mm. is originally very much a feminine energy. It's, it, in fact, we look at Capricorn as the circle of grandmothers, the circle of elders. It's that matrilineal principle where it would be the the grandmothers. I don't mean grandmothers in the sense of just the ones that hang out with the grandchildren. I'm talking about uh, managerial director types, the ones that actually hire and fire the chiefs, the ones that are making the decisions for the benefit of the many generations to follow. That's 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 Capricorn, um, mm-hmm. uh, the the circle of uh, no, the knowledge that um, that will uh, pass down through the ages and which will be concerned for the for the many generations to follow. Um, and so we're talking about the feminine here. We're talking about the planet Earth. Um, and if Capricorn doesn't serve her, then what do we have today? We have like corporate structure, also unfortunately connected to Capricorn, but which is only concerned with quarterly profits. You know, mm. that's such a, that is such a perversion of, of, of original Capricorn. Um, you know, so we're, we're trying to restore that um, uh, divine feminine, sacred feminine, um, a matrilineal um, uh, a pri- uh, a priority to, to, how we, to how we look at things on this planet. Um, I mean, that's what we mean by that's whom we ultimately serve. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. And um, Daniel, I, I've read also in shamanic astrology uh, that ceremony is an important part of the practice. And you make a distinction between ritual and ceremony, which many of us listeners may not. Could could you explain the difference and talk about how important or what role ceremony plays in the practice? 
Well, the difference, uh, if you're using it, if you're making a distinction between the two words, um, ritual is kind of like doing a Catholic mass. I mean, it's doing the same thing the same way over and over again. Mm-hmm. While a ceremony is something that's always fresh. You always are doing it in the moment. Um, uh, as one of my favorite jazz musicians put it, never the same way once. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like you're tuning in to that moment. And there isn't, uh, there's, there's not like one way it has to be done. Um, uh, the, the basis of this kind of ceremony with astrology is, is first based on being aware of the timings. You know, like, oh, there's a Venus-Moon conjunction tonight. Well, let's go look at it, you know. Or um, uh, many people these days, way more than 40 years ago, um, uh, have that awareness of things like um, new moons and full moons. Yes. Or equinoxes and solstices, mm-hmm. but you can extend it further. Um, there's so there's, there's there's a vast an array of different possibilities of having an awareness of, uh, and then when you begin living that way, when you're aware of these these uh, moments, that these these timings that that only happen a certain way once, and then you hang out with it and 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 you you tune into it. Um, different types of people, based on their archetype can certainly choose if they desire to do something really elaborate with it mm-hmm. or to just uh, just to be present for it. I mean, that's up to the individual to determine whether they want to do it in costume or you know, <laughs> whether, whether mm-hmm. they, they want to do it out in the middle of the desert or if they want to do it on, 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 in their backyard in the city. But um, it's simply more of an awareness in the moment of what is really taking place at that time and the uniqueness of it. It's not repeatable. Mm. And then, so then when you go outdoors with groups of people and you make these observations of where Venus is or if she's in the morning star or the evening star position and, and how, how close or her, her proximity to the other planetary players up in the sky, um, you're also using these old stories or you're evoking the mythology and somehow bringing that down to earth and uh, getting people to think about how that particular story, how what they're experiencing in that moment has personal meaning for themselves at that moment in their life. Yeah. So it's very much a living practice, it sounds to me. Yeah, we will use, we will often use the old stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. as, as a way of um, um, stimulating um, the, 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 the imagination to, to connect into the old stories is helpful. But what we're more interested in is, is uh, coming up with new stories, you know, to, 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 to dream the dream onward, to dream the myth onward. I mean, to use Jung's great quote. Yeah, Jung uh, once said, we're here to dream the myth onward. And, and I very much believe that is uh, much of what we're doing in shamanic astrology. Uh, and and our, our imaginations are activated by the old stories, certainly, to know the old mythic stories. Tuning into the sky directly now, and then we're in different people now. So if we're living in these ways, if we're connecting ceremonially with the sky and know something about astrology, then we're in a position to receive the transmissions and in a position to dream the myth onward. Mm. Wonderful. 
Well, speaking of making this connection with what's going on in the, the night sky, we have a very unusual solar eclipse coming up in a, a few days here uh, from our recording date. And I know that uh, you are making a special trip in order to view it. Can you share with our listeners something about this particular solar eclipse and how you plan to experience it? Yes, uh, my wife and I and a friend are going to go down to Sulawesi, used to be called the Salibis, um, in Indonesia. And the track of the eclipse um, rises just offside of Sumatra and then goes across Indonesia, across Borneo, and then across Sulawesi, and then out into the Pacific, and uh, ending up above Hawaii. I've researched this particular eclipse. Um, it actually connects back into in the same family of eclipses to the one that happened in February of 1962. And those in the astrological community know that time, um, remember that time, because that was when seven planets, the five classical planets, sun and the moon, were all within 16 degrees in the sign of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, many people at that time thought, ah, oh, that's the beginning of the age of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing I really love about this uh, current um, eclipse is that actually the place we're going, Palu, on the island of Sulawesi, was also exactly in totality in the one in 1962. The fact that this eclipse is going across Indonesia is also bringing up something of great interest to me that I've actually been writing about for a good number of years, which is this is the area of the world called Sundaland. It was the area that was all above water um, in, in, in a kind of a large supercontinent um, as recently as uh, 12,000 years ago. And then when the oceans rose, it, it went underwater. And Graham Hancock and Magicians of the Gods is finally bringing this to the general public that this is actually where the location of Atlant- so-called Atlantis was it's where civilization was during during the Ice Age it was a great maritime culture they had the megalithic uh, technology they invented um, uh, agriculture, domesticated agriculture and, and all those kinds of things and water rose uh, it all went underwater Why is this important now? Because, well, this consciousness about this and these eclipses going over um, um, Sundaland, ancient Sundaland, uh, look it up. I mean, it's a very interesting subject that's now finally coming into uh, consciousness. And I, and I think the paths of these total eclipses are like paintbrushes um, illuminating where we need to look on the planet. And uh, with that in mind, by the way, there will be one in the U.S. uh, in 2017. There hasn't been a total solar eclipse in the U.S. for quite some time. And that paintbrush is going to go across Oregon and and Wyoming and and Nebraska and across Kansas City and through the south. I mean, that's that's August of 2017. So um, this is like the... uh, the, the cosmos, um, let you know, informing us. You know, we, we need to be aware of certain things. You know, keep our attention in certain areas. And so, I'm just very fortunate that I'm going to get to go down there and be present for it. Yes, that sounds wonderful. So, tell us a little bit about this solar eclipse. It has a, a number of planets that are all in the sign of Pisces. Uh, well, the yes, it's a, this is a south node total eclipse um, mm. uh, and it makes a difference whether it's the south node or the north node where the sun mm-hmm. and the moon are 
Yes. Um, and, and because it has more to do with the past if it's the south node. So while in general a solar eclipse is a super new moon, an opportunity to blast through to an intended future, when it's the south node um, eclipse, it's way more important to also include what the shadow of the past has been. Yes. Otherwise, it becomes a light polarized um, event. Um, you know, so we're not over glamorizing it, but we're also not afraid of it the way that uh, the ancients were. Mm-hmm. You just have to be realistic about it. Which um, this is bringing in the shadow of you know the thirteen thousand years. Um, anyway, uh, there's that element of it, and also the fact that Jupiter is like exactly opposite the um, uh, the, the the position. Um, uh, there's a great deal of intensity around about that particular window, um, and, and whether you whether you're there to experience the totality or not, um, it's a, a remarkable ceremonial opportunity. Um, I, I suggest people to put a lot of intentionality behind it. Um, the, as, as you all know, the events of 2016 and 2017 are are, are, are kind of off the. Uh, off the charts, um, including how it um, affects the, the chart of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so what kinds of suggestions um, would you give to our listeners if they did want to um, personally uh, honor this, this particular solar eclipse and participate in it in a personal way? What are some things that they might want to do? Well, to, to be to be together in in groups of, of intentionality, um, uh, to to not have it be something that's just like really scattered because the shadow does come out, mm. and and also to to um, have uh, as I mentioned intentionality about it. Um, also, uh, that it would be a, a way in which you would um, uh, acknowledge, you know, be honest about where the shadows. Uh, where the where the uh, difficulties and, and challenges have been with um, global humanity over the last thirteen thousand years, then release it. You know, acknowledge it, release it. Uh, you know, take ownership of it, responsibility for it, and then and then blast through. You know, it's like intend something fresh or new. If we're in some ways, this is like the end and the beginning of everything we've ever believed about Pisces and Virgo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly a lot of shadow to Pisces. You know, including. Um, um, uh, a giving away of our power to to um, you know spiritual and religious leaders you know was part of part of the the Pisces shadow, but but, the, but part of the healthy thing about it is though the compassion the love um, uh, we also the, we we don't want to leave Virgo out because I mean this is our Earth Mother and 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 the fact that the North Node and Jupiter are aligned is very seldom. The Jupiter and the North Node are aligned in Virgo. Mm-hmm. Um, it did happen in 1979, but usually it's only every a couple hundred years, a couple about 200 years that you have the same um, Jupiter North Node alignment. And here it's in Virgo, as if as if Jupiter and the North Node are saying that it's really all about our honoring of Earth Mother and being connected to the natural rhythms and cycles of our planet. I mean, I think that's the overall larger message here. Yes. Yes. A very timely one for us. Well, let's switch gears a little bit here as we're winding down the hour. I want to make sure that our listeners can uh, 
hear a little bit more about your uh, Shamanic Astrology Mystery School and how they can connect with you. You have a lot of resources on your website, shamanicastrology.com. Can you tell us about those? Um, yes, um, and the, we've actually just uh, revised and updated the website. Um, I would invite um, um, anyone interested in, this, in these subjects that we're talking about today to go to shamanicastrology.com. Uh, you'll find out there about our, our um, online uh, classes. Um, um, we're now uh, doing a timeline um, webinar right now over six months um, also on on there um, are numerous articles um, different CDs different mp3s um, I, I also am now doing a a monthly um, podcast um, of, um, of different subjects. Um, uh, we're just posting the third one now. I did one on uh, on my trip to Gobekli Tepe in Turkey last year. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing one regarding the eclipse when I get back next month. Um, there's another one just in general about eclipses that is going to be posted in the next couple of days. So there's, there's that there. Um, many, many articles from other shamanic astrologers, um, uh, resources is about the school, um, how to become certified, um, uh, different uh, articles about the the elements of the shamanic astrology paradigm, um, many, many different, uh, in fact, one topic we didn't really have a chance to get into would be the, the way in which signs and constellations interact with each other. You know, what is the turning of the ages? Um, how do these, the constellations inform the signs? Why do the meanings of the signs change over time? Things like that. Yes, it's all fascinating, and I encourage our listeners to go explore that, that website, shamanicastrology.com. And I know I'm going to make a point of scheduling a session with one of my local shamanic astrologers here in Oregon because I'm fascinated to hear what they have to say about my personal horoscope. So we are coming to the end of today's show. Uh, Daniel, it's been such an honor and a real pleasure to have you on the show today to talk about shamanic astrology. Thank you so very much for being with us. My great pleasure, Mary Jo. Hope to do it again sometime. It's been a, 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 a I hope the the, the the reception on this hasn't been too jar, jangled at certain points, but um, it's, yeah, that's what happens when you're talking from Manila. Right. Well, we appreciate you joining us over the Ether Spears from, from the Philippines today. <laughs> and I also want to thank you listeners for joining us today on Astrology, the Theory of Everything. Check out our Facebook page at Astro Talk Radio for information about this and other shows. You can link up with me on LinkedIn, and we can continue our conversations about astrology on Twitter with hashtag AstroTalkRadio. Thank you for being part of the show today. Please join Janie McCarthy and Mary Jo Weavers again next month for another edition of Astrology, the Theory of Everything. You can listen to all our shows on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. May the stars be with you.